2: Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History Podcast. It's uh, me, Nick Shepley here and um, this week I'm going to talk a little bit about prohibition. Um, It's a really fascinating area of kind of social, political and I guess um, criminal history that um, I guess talked about um, to some extent I think uh, in a couple of the uh, specifications. Uh, at UCSE level but by and large it doesn't get delved into uh, as a phenomena in any greater depth um, normally than when we're looking at gangsters and Al Capone which really is um, a kind of like a, si- a side issue a side effect of prohibition but the phenomenon of prohibition itself is interesting because it tells an awful lot about late 19th century and early 20th century America and the development of social attitudes, um, particularly, obviously, as as regards alcohol. But it's one of those things, uh, a bit like when we were looking at um, the sort of permissive society in 60s Britain uh, a few podcasts ago, (coughs) the um, issue of prohibition is a a kind of like a means, um, a prism through which we can view um, other attitudes and beliefs which were deep-seated within American society and culture at large. Now, the earliest references to um, the sins of alcohol uh, can be found in America all the way back in the 17th century. And America wasn't alone in um, finding that alcohol was an increasingly problematic substance. The developments of towns and cities uh, in uh, England and Scotland throughout the 17th and 18th centuries Periodically give rise to uh, moral panics over alcohol. Um, you only need to look at some of hogarth's uh, inscriptions and engravings about the perils of gin in the eighteenth century uh, to see that uh, it was it was well understood that the tensions and pressures of uh, what was developing into working class life in the towns and cities combined with super cheap uh, spirits and, uh, and uh, fortified alcohol was creating all manner of social havoc that people were mindful of and it's something that can be seen in Britain today with an epidemic of uh, public alcoholism so um the the phenomenon of um uh, alcoholism um and kind of mass alcoholism uh was something that was um you know in the public discourse in america from the 17th century onwards but it's only in the 19th century <clears throat> when you get a series of religious revivals happening Um, and you get the uh, development, really, of an American middle class. All sorts of new ideas come into the mix. Since the um, War of Independence and the creation of the United States, the question of tax has always been a very fraught one. Now, tax is is often the best means of regulating alcohol price. Um, However... The, uh, throughout the period, from the American Revolution all the way up to the, uh, early, the the dawn of the Civil War, the eve of the Civil War, beg your pardon, um, the question of the right of federal government to levy taxes in particular states on particular commodities was an enormously fraught one the south uh, not only reserved their right to uh, maintain the peculiar institution of slavery but they also fiercely protected um the right to levy their own taxes or or not um federal government was in the eyes of many of those who had um fought in the war of independence an unnecessary, uh, well, perhaps a a necessary evil, but it must always be a limited one. The federal government existed really, in their eyes, um, as a kind of an an umbrella, as a a force of last uh, last resort, in case, of course, the French or the British or uh, another European power decided they wanted to uh, take back the Americas. As far as um, anything else went, um, federal government or central government um, was a, a, a nuisance and a, a threat to to the liberties and the operation of trade. And particularly when it came to levying taxes and things like alcohol, um, there was um, potentially uh, a mutinous talk. The first rebellion against alcohol war, against alcohol taxation was the Whiskey Rebellion in in Pennsylvania in 1791. So the, the question we've got on our hands really is how did a society which prides itself on a mistrust of government, um, you only need to look at grassroots American movements today to see that one in, in action, prides, prides itself on a mistrust of government and a desire to keep government at arm's length a, um, and a desire really to keep taxation um, at, at at a minimum. How did this society produce prohibition um, and produce the uh, government regulation and control of alcohol on a massive scale? Well, from the very beginnings of the 19th century all the way through up to the uh, um, aftermath of the First World War, Prohibition um, had been pioneered by temperance societies, which had developed very quickly, in, firstly in the, uh, the northeastern states of America, and then flourished as the Union developed and uh, westwards <coughs> across the rest of the country, particularly in the post-Civil War era. And the temperance movement was a largely Christian and largely Protestant uh, movement in America throughout the 19th century. But it served a number of um, social purposes, uh, particularly um, in the development of a middle class. Alcohol and alcoholism were seen as the the, the curse of the working man. And whilst the new uh, middle class uh, men of America were not particularly encouraged to give up drink, the signifier, the sign of uh, new female middle-class respectability was abstinence. The uh, consequences of alcoholism both in the new towns and cities on both seaboards and in the interior um, as the uh, frontier was extended and eventually um, the interior wilderness of America was tamed would have been abundantly clear to many of the um, new American uh, middle classes and working classes indeed as well. But it was the the new American respectable that could look upon and frown and distinguish themselves from the uh, debauched lifestyles they often saw in the new um, towns and cities, and particularly um, in what would later be referred to in penny dreadfuls as the Wild West, and there is a, a sense of mission. Um, particularly after the end of slavery, there is um, a sense that the the kind of the um, energies of uh, good reforming Christian folk needed to be directed uh, elsewhere. Uh, And the liberation of um, families, wives and children from the curse of drink um, was an ideal place to start. The organisation that most people are familiar with when they're talking about prohibition is the Anti-Saloon League. However, there had been a long, long history throughout the 19th century of uh, associations across America um, designed to work towards the end of um, public alcoholism. There's a shift away from uh, encouraging moderation in drinking through to outright abstinence. And the the first main uh, organisation, Um, is the uh, American Temperance Society which was created in 1826 and it wound up with one and a half million members uh, within uh, a decade or so and considering that the uh, American population was considerably smaller at that point it's uh, no end of an achievement really Um, this is in part due to um, the uh, extent of uh, religious activism within America and the extent to uh, to which you know america was seen as a a new and you know fundamentally different society which could hopefully have um different rules um different um uh, traditions and one which could potentially be free of certain social problems um the american civil war as previously mentioned is a hugely disruptive uh, as it comes to the uh, quest for prohibition because both sides actually rely on the sale and taxation of alcohol in order to finance themselves, so um, it was particularly important um, not to uh, not to ban it at this particular time. Um, the uh, post civil war um, era again presented opportunities for prohibition to um, to establish itself in large part because there is a need to um, channel and direct um, a lot of the uh, emancipatory politics that had been galvanised uh, in um, um, in objection to the slave trade in an, uh, a, a different way and um, the uh, Prohibition Party that was founded in 1869 and uh, also the uh, Women's Christian Temperance Movement 1873 um, is full of the, the kinds of people who had originally um, Thought seen slavery as the, the original sin in America. There is um, a, an awareness that uh, women are the chief victims of alcoholism, uh, in part because the uh, men are almost exclusively uh, the main or indeed the sole breadwinners in most families by the 1870s, and there is a a a well-established tradition of going via the saloon bar on the way home um, when one receives one's pay packet. And the uh, progressives within the um, uh, temperance movement, the left of the temperance movement, if you will, saw this as as kind of part of the um, capitalist predation on the working man that was now... um, an established feature of post-Civil War American life um, and and, and the tensions therein. But the extent to which this was a really uh, uh, evangelical-driven policy uh, was seen in states such as Kansas.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited
0: Premium Wireless: I Bet you get thirty, thirty. I bet you get thirty, I bet you get twenty, twenty, twenty. I bet you get twenty, twenty. I bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, 15, Just fifteen bucks a month. So,
1: give it a try at MintMobile.com/slash-switch.
0: Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at MintMobile.com.
2: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's pretty, uh, deeply uh, Christian um, in outlook and the decision by Kansas in 1881 to uh, try banning alcohol and um, was uh, fitting in a, a period of time where there was a proliferation of uh, anti alcohol activism in a run up to the turn of the century. Um, yeah, evangelical groups would sing hymns outside saloon bars. And um, part of the reason for this, again, is to do with the development of America as uh, an industrialized nation the um, development of towns and cities meant the development of large urban populations and the uh, creation of um, drinking establishments in order to um, bring them relief from what was probably the, the misery and the monotony of everyday working class life. And the these rapid changes, these rapid social changes Bring about tensions and anxieties in parts of the population that see America changing and altering in ways that really they don't like very much. And alcohol becomes a kind of a byword, it becomes a sort of a cipher, if you will, for the sins of the modern world. During the um, Prohibition, the Progressive Era, uh, you see the prominence of the Anti Saloon League. Um, the Anti Saloon League is interesting because it kind of, uh, its members, are not simply uh, interested in um, uh, prohibition alone. Um, they are interested in a whole range of things: women's suffrage uh, and other progressive issues. Um, they were led by uh, Howard Hyde Russell, who was uh, who'd had this um, profound evangelical conversion and had uh, believed that really the, the law. Needed to perhaps be used to kind of in, uh, interpret Christianity and Christianity could be used to interpret the law and obviously you know the the american uh, the American constitution is a is a secular document um, but there's always been this tension uh, in the United States between um the the uh, country as being uh, largely secular but with a great many of its citizens looking about it as being Christian. Up until 1916, it's an issue that basically um, American presidents and uh, candidates who were running for president really could do with ignoring. Um, It was often seen as more trouble than it's worth. There were large factions in um, both Republican and Democrat parties um, who both opposed and supported uh, the issue of prohibition. And so it was something that particularly as the question of whether America would intervene in the war um, developed um, was was seen as increasingly uh, an unnecessary encumbrance for presidents to have to entertain. War itself proves to be uh, an interesting tool for the prohibition argument. Most of America's most successful brewers and distillers were German-Americans. You need to look at... uh, brands such as Budweiser and Anheuser-Busch in order to, uh, to appreciate that one. And the um, American um, prohibition lobby argued that really grain could be used in far more effective ways such as making bread for the troops or for people on the home front and that really what alcohol uh, achieved if nothing else was loss of working days due to drunkenness so sobriety and patriotism were quite neatly fused together how far that had any effect on um, the, 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 the drinker uh, or those toiling in munitions factories is questionable, but that's not really the point. The effect that it had on uh, public opinion in favour of prohibition seems to be quite significant. Prohibition, um, when it finally passed in December 1917 with the Volstead Act, is really a wartime measure. It is seen as something that is essential for um, America to win the war. And there are kind of echoes of this in Britain, in that uh, the Defence of the Realm Act, uh, passed by Lloyd George, enabled um, pub closing hours um, to be strictly enforced. um, And the um, number of uh, British workers turning up to munitions factories, very, very dangerous places. uh, still drunk or half cut, um, rapidly decreases, and this is you know one of the one of the chief me- chief reasons for it. So in that context, you can kind of understand um, why it is there was a, a, an interest in prohibition um, uh, at, at an elite level. The question of how this you know libertarian nation that prides itself on small government winds up. Uh, banning alcohol is uh, is really best answered by the, the fact that there are, the, these are the exigencies required during a a period of total war, and there is uh, not only a libertarian small state tradition in America, but also a kind of uh, Christian evangelical uh, reforming social reforming tradition, equally as powerful and equally as significant. And When the uh, interests of state power in uh, marshalling the nation's resources to win the war uh, meet with the um, ambitions of that kind of broad Christian social democratic reform lobby, then you get prohibition and the uh, the libertarian uh, trend in American thinking really is, uh, is suppressed at that point. The problem is this is that the war ends too soon. Uh, In December 1917, nobody really knows that the war is only going going to go on for another 11 months. Um, As far as anyone's concerned, in December 1917, the Germans are winning. And so the, um, the war ends and the Volstead Act is still there. And it's finally passed into law as the 18th Amendment in January 1920. And the Volstead Act requires a new um, tier of federal agents in order to enforce it. The Volstead Act uh, prohibited the sale, manufacture, distribution or importation of alcohol um, in the United States but it did allow people to make uh, cider or wine at home if they chose to. Uh, the um, move into um, regulating how people, what people did Uh, under their own roofs, was seen as perhaps a step too far. Now I want to um, talk about gangsters and that sort of thing in a different podcast, and the reason why is this, is that um, as a kind of a 20th century phenomenon, the the gangster is very interesting. It's really only in the 20th century that gangsters like Al Capone um, or people like Pablo Escobar have wielded, uh, you know, enormous... Enormous a kind of quasi-state power in some instances. And there's an interesting question as to why criminality has become this kind of globalised multi-billion dollar phenomenon in the 20th and now 21st centuries. And in some instances can challenge state power. And I think it's more a question of what states have done. Um, Particularly with with regard to prohibition in order to create such characters. So that is a a separate discussion and one I hope to do um, very shortly because there's much more to be said about people like Al Capone than simply things like the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. As we know, prohibition failed, and was repealed in 1933 by Franklin Roosevelt in his, hun- in his first hundred days in office, um, and that the legacy of prohibition really um, is one uh, of obviously of um, uh, you know bloodshed and violence and corruption and criminality, and it it is part of I suppose this um, this uh, notion. Not entirely a fair one, but this this notion that people have of the kind of the the, the corruption of America and the corruption of the American dream, uh, you know, one only needs to um, take a, a look at the kind of the instances of police officers on the take and uh, um, uh, judges who are in the pockets of various gangsters to see that there is there is something there. But the other thing we can see here is that. Um, obviously prohibition is kind of like a forerunner to uh, Richard Nixon's later and disastrous war on drugs and there, and it shows us that there is this kind of profound tension uh, in American popular discourse between the, um, the rights of the individual and the role of the state you know, America is um, born of a revolt against taxation and is born of a revolt against uh, government and yet, throughout the 19th, throughout the 20th century, uh, government uh, in America and Britain and most other first world countries has grown inexorably. And you know, this is obviously um, part of the reason why there is this um, grassroots grassroots um, anger and resentment against federal government um, even today. Though that's got an awful lot more to do with everything that's happened since 2008. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. So yeah this is it's just a a very interesting theme and I think one which I'll try to return to in later podcasts um this this particular dichotomy and I guess the the way you can look at it um you know most objectively is that sure there is this libertarian tradition in America and it is like a dislike of big government but much of what America has faced in the 20th century has required big government has required um, a large Um, militarized uh, establishment um, in order for America to survive and continue functioning. Anyway, how do we get to uh, from uh, alcohol to nuclear weapons? God only knows. So um, that's all for today. Um, stay tuned to this podcast um, throughout the week. Um, we've got some interesting announcements coming up. As I mentioned, we've got a new writer coming on board, Gina Bolter. She's a distinguished PhD and uh, knows her stuff when it comes to China. So she'll be writing for us um, uh, by Christmas time a new e-book book uh, loosely titled at the moment, After Mao, uh, China from 1976 to uh, sometime in the 1990s, I think we go up to about 1998, and we're looking at how China goes from becoming a virtually bankrupt state at the end of the Cultural Revolution to being the global power it is now, and what phenomenal uh, changes and events have taken place in order to make that happen. We've got Julia Routledge uh, returning with um, the genocidal century, Uh, looking at everything from uh, the uh, Armenian genocide all the way through to uh, Rwanda and Bosnia. Cheery stuff, yes. And I'll be um, launching a new explaining history title on uh, China in the 20th century as well sometime in the new year. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed today, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thank you. Bye bye.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices.